welcome to In the Word with Michelle Telfer. Thank you for joining us for this in-depth study of God's Word, the Bible. For more of Michelle's resources or to read her blog, visit her website at intheword.com. And now, Michelle. Father God, thank you so much for drawing us together today, and I pray that I'd not get in the way of what you plan to do but that you would teach and lead us into all truth. It is in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. The Apostle Paul encouraged believers to be informed about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And in our last lesson, we began at the beginning, so to speak, by first looking at what the scriptures teach us about the Holy Spirit himself. We learned that far from being an impersonal force, the Holy Spirit is a person, and so he is able to relate to us. He is our comforter, counselor, and friend, guiding us, teaching us, and leading us into all truth, and producing certain fruit in our lives, such as love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We also learned that after Christ's death on the cross, the Holy Spirit began to work in a way somewhat different than how he'd worked in the Old Testament. Whereas in the Old Testament, God gave the Holy Spirit to only a few people, now every individual who truly believes in Christ is sealed with the Holy Spirit at the moment of their decision to entrust themselves to him. We saw in Ephesians chapter 1 verses 13 to 14 that when we repent of our sins and receive Christ as our Savior, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in us, marking us as Christ's very own and sealing us for our future redemption. He never leaves us nor forsakes us, but the New Testament describes another facet of our relationship with the indwelling Holy Spirit besides this sealing and marking, and it's something that has tremendous implications for how we live our lives as followers of Christ. So before we get into the various gifts themselves, and I do promise we will get there shortly, we need to explore what scripture calls being filled with the Spirit and see what it means for us today. Not surprisingly, the first scripture we're going to look at occurs immediately after Christ's resurrection. You'll remember that Christ had been hurriedly buried before the Jewish Sabbath began. When the Sabbath was over and Sunday, the first day of the week, was dawning, Mary Magdalene and some of the other women who had followed Jesus returned to his tomb, only to discover that his tomb was empty and he was no longer there. Initially, they were confused and discouraged, thinking that perhaps the authorities had come and taken his body away. But as Mary stood there crying after the others had gone, the risen Lord himself appeared to her, calling her by name and directing her to go tell the other disciples the news. Imagine all they felt when they heard that Jesus had in fact risen from the dead the shock and the disbelief, but there was also fear. 
Quite understandably, they huddled together, afraid of the authorities and unsure of what to do next. John tells us what happened later that evening in John chapter 20, verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Now, notice how clear John is about when this happened. In verse 18 of that chapter, he tells us that Mary Magdalene went from the tomb to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And then in verse 19, he continues, On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them. John reveals that Christ first appeared to them on the very same day he had risen from the dead. John relates in verse 21 that what happened next was nothing short of astonishing. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. You see, it was on Resurrection Sunday that John maintains Christ's followers received the Holy Spirit. Many scholars accept that it was then, as they believed in the risen Lord, that they were sealed with the Holy Spirit. Yet, if you continue on in chapter 21 of John's Gospel, you'll notice that even after encountering the risen Lord, even after receiving the Holy Spirit, the disciples still seemed to be unsure of what they were to do next. They went back to their old life of fishing. Jesus had called them to be fishers of men, but apparently they had to be further equipped to fulfill that task. Meanwhile, Luke explains in Acts chapter 1 verse 3 that Jesus gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. For the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, you may remember that Jesus had spoken to them before about this gift the father had promised, the gift of the Holy Spirit, that he would come only after Christ had returned to the father and that he would be their comforter, their guide, their teacher, and that he would help them to tell others the good news. And here, Jesus referred to that coming as being baptized with the Holy Spirit. He told them to wait for this gift in Jerusalem. Then Luke records in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 that when Christ ascended to heaven in the clouds, he promised his followers, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, 
and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Though the disciples had obviously received the Holy Spirit on the night of the resurrection, Jesus told them to wait to receive the power of the Holy Spirit, for he knew it was the only way they would be the witnesses he had called them to be. The disciples obediently did just as Jesus had commanded. They gathered together to wait in Jerusalem and they didn't have to wait long. Luke reports in Acts chapter 2 verse 1 that when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Jesus had ascended to heaven 40 days after the Passover, and 10 days later, thousands of Jewish people had come into the city from every nation under heaven to observe the Feast of Pentecost. This was the annual feast celebrating the wheat harvest, the Feast of First Fruits. God, however, had a different fruit and a far greater harvest in mind. For here, at Pentecost, Christ's obedient followers were first described as being filled with the Holy Spirit, and a great harvest of souls was brought into his kingdom. In this particular instance, the disciples were miraculously enabled to speak in different languages of those who were visiting the city, so as to bear witness to them about the Lord Jesus Christ. Hearing simple, uneducated Galileans speak in their many languages was a miraculous sign that drew others to them in wonder. The crowd was perplexed but also amazed by what they heard. However, the sceptical among them made fun of Christ's followers and tried to explain the astonishing event away by saying they have had too much wine. Verse 14, Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above 
and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And every one who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Peter reminded them that the Old Testament prophet Joel had spoken about the very thing they were now seeing. Joel had prophesied that there would come a day when God would pour out his spirit on his people who believed in him. It would be a day of signs and wonders and a reminder of the judgment yet to come, but it would also be a day of salvation. For Joel also promised that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. Peter then began to preach about Jesus, telling the crowd how the Lord had been put to death on a cross and how God the Father had raised him from the dead. Peter boldly declared to his stunned Jewish audience that Christ was indeed their long-awaited Messiah. And Luke notes in verse 37 that when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Peter was no longer the ordinary fisherman he'd been when he first came to Christ. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, he had become the evangelist Jesus had always intended him to be. 3,000 people came to faith in Jesus Christ as their Saviour that day because of the work of the Holy Spirit, enabling all of these very ordinary followers of Jesus to faithfully declare the good news. The book of Acts also makes it clear that being filled with the Holy Spirit is not a once-off event or something reserved only for the apostles. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John were arrested and brought before the Sanhedrin. The Jewish leaders warned them not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus again. Though they refused to obey these corrupt officials, they were released, and the two apostles immediately returned to the others to report all that had happened. Rather than be frightened into silence, the church worshipped the Lord and cried out to God, saying, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And immediately after they had prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Without exception, everyone was filled with the Holy Spirit, and they continued God's work with boldness. 
We also see the Holy Spirit at work in the life of the Apostle Paul. In Acts chapter 9, Saul, as he was then known, was blinded when he saw the risen Lord Jesus as he made his way to Damascus. In verse 17 of that chapter, a godly man by the name of Ananias was sent by the Lord to lay hands on blinded Saul. Not only so that his sight would be restored, but so that Paul would be filled with the Holy Spirit. God had selected Saul to be his instrument to proclaim the good news about Jesus Christ to both Gentile and Jew alike. Paul's ministry could not have happened apart from the Holy Spirit, and indeed it didn't. On his first missionary journey, he and Barnabas travelled to the island of Cyprus, where Acts 13 records something extraordinary that occurred. The top government official who lived in the city of Paphos was eager to hear their message about Jesus, and so he sent for them. Apparently, this particular Roman official was attended by a formidable sorcerer by the name of Elymas. Fearful that he might lose his influence over the Roman, this sorcerer confronted the disciples and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith in verse 8 of that chapter. Look at verse 9. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elymas and said, You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. Immediately mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about, seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. We cannot overcome evil in our own strength, but verse 9 reveals that Paul was once more filled with the Holy Spirit, giving him the power not only to defeat this agent of Satan, but also to help the government official come to faith in Jesus Christ. This would not be the only time that the Holy Spirit would fill Paul in this way, for he would need strength to endure much persecution and opposition during the course of his ministry, even from his own Jewish brethren. Acts 13 mentions one of these incidents that happened directly after the confrontation with the sorcerer in Paphos. Paul and his companions arrived in Sidian Antioch, where they had great success in preaching to the Gentiles there. However, their message of Christ's forgiveness and salvation greatly angered the Jews, who stirred up such persecution that the disciples were quickly expelled from that city. Paul and his companions could have easily been discouraged as they fled to the next town, 
But Acts chapter 13 verse 52 reveals that when they got there, the disciples were once more filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit, which gave them the strength to continue in the work God had called them to. So what does all this mean for you and me? Today, we have the same call on our lives as they did on theirs. We are to be Christ's witnesses. In Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20, Jesus gave his followers what has come to be known as the Great Commission, when he commanded, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. As Christ followers, we are to live lives worthy of the calling we've received from God. We are to be a positive influence on the world around us. And we are to extend and grow Christ's kingdom on earth. However, as we saw with Paul, this cannot be done in our own power. But thank the Lord, it doesn't have to be. For God wants to fill us with his Holy Spirit, not only to make us into the witnesses Christ desires, but also to empower us to live an everyday life worthy of the gospel we've come to believe. Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus to explain what a life filled with the Spirit should look like. He called us to walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God, saying that there should be no room for sexual immorality or greed in the life of a Christ follower, nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking, but in its place, thanksgiving to God. We should be very careful as to how we live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Paul went on to conclude in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 to 20, saying, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is talking about what we let control us. We are to be filled or to be controlled by God's Holy Spirit. It's interesting to me that when Paul urges us to be filled with the Holy Spirit in verse 18, he uses the present continuous form of that verb. In other words, he's saying we are to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. We are to continually live in fellowship with him and follow his lead in everything we say and do. If we do this, 
There should be no difference between the way we live on Sunday and the way we live on Monday or the rest of the week. However, I think that many of us are happy to settle for less. Rather than seek the infilling of the Holy Spirit, we're often more comfortable doing things on our own, operating in our own natural strengths rather than in the strength that only God can provide. We must be willing to ask ourselves, are we truly seeking God? Are we asking him to fill us with his Holy Spirit, not only to empower us to do the work that only he can do, but to enable us to live a daily life filled with his presence? Jesus came to give us life to the full, and we're called to live Christian lives that are not closed off to his supernatural activity in us and through us. The Holy Spirit wants to overflow us to impact the lives of those around us. And I don't know about you, but that's where I want to be, filled to overflowing with the power and love of the Holy Spirit to have a kingdom impact on the world around me. With all this in mind then, I think we're ready to look at those different gifts of the Spirit that are revealed in the New Testament. I hope our hearts are prepared to begin that study. But even now, I would ask you to spend time seeking the Lord. Confess any doubts or fears you may have about the Holy Spirit and about your relationship with Him. Ask Him to change any incorrect assumptions you may have made, whatever those might be. Ask him to speak to you, making your life more useful for his kingdom and more of an encouragement to others. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much that we do not have to do life alone. Thank you, not only for Jesus, but thank you for sending the Holy Spirit as our comforter, helper and friend. Lord, we don't want to hold anything back from you. If our hearts are as a house before you, we want the Holy Spirit to fill every room of that dwelling. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you for listening to In the Word with Michelle Telfer. Join us next week as we continue our study from God's Word, the Bible. For more of Michelle's resources, visit her website at intheword.